brought to you with the natural goodness of Viridian and Browns. I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women, and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Today, I'm bringing you another show in the mini-series Men in Music, and today's guest is probably the godfather of Men in Music in Malta. My guest today has discovered, managed, and produced the biggest names in music in Malta, has brought us the largest music festivals in Malta. He's involved in two of the biggest television household names that have come to Malta. He is the president of Malta Entertainment Industry and Arts Association and been very vocal over the past months about the way that the music and arts industry have been treated over the pandemic and its recovery. Ladies and gentlemen, Howard Keith. Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. What, a, what an intro. I'm feeling gold, honestly. You make me feeling gold. <laughs> but Did thank you. Like you. That? Well, that's really nice. Oh, well, uh, listen, thank you so much. I'm so it. thrilled to have you. Same. I want to talk about music, obviously, today. And I want to go back to the very beginning, Howard, because your passion and love of music started from a very early age. You are such a well-known name in music in Malta, but I don't think an awful lot of people understand what your origins are. And, and even when you were training to be an architect, you took a whole U-turn and said, no, 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 I want to do what my heart is leading me to do, and you went into music as a full-time occupation. Tell me about your first experiences. Where does this passion come from? Um, I'm not going to say my dad or my mum. They love music. Music was also always around. But no, it's not that. It's just simply myself having a lot of thirst for and, and passion for, 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 the, for the music industry in general. So I remember very clearly at the age of nine, I was committed to have my first synths, whatever you may call it. I was already um, learning piano and, and, and all that. We were talking about late 70s, early 80s, the whole um, synth vibe came along. Now at the time in Malta, it was illegal to have any imports from Japan. So the famous Roland, the famous Yamahas, that was a no-go. So <laughs> this is a true story. Our neighbor had business in Libya and those countries and somehow managed to bring in my first scent through this carpet, <laughs> through like, like a, you know, this Libyan carpet. The scent wrapped up in the carpet? Yeah, you know, you know his son very, very, very well, but I won't say who he is. Oh, no! I'll tell you off air, but he's <laughs> one of the media top, top guys on the island. Anyhow, and... So that's the, the start. But immediately from the get-go, I, I knew I was going to be in a studio environment. So I remember pretty much drawing up what I wanted, the whole mixer, the whole thing. Obviously, we had no money to even dream about that. But I, I, once again, because of my thirst for this thing, I used to go to this little shop in Valletta, and they used to sell electronics, and I said, I'm going to build a mixer. I'm just going to build it myself. That's it. No money. I don't care. I'm just going to find a way to do it. I bought the faders. I bought the electronics. I bought the circuit. Next thing I know, I borrowed something from my granddad, had these old reels and cables. This was me 10 years old. I was already in that, in that But you're mode. 10 years old. 10 years where, old. Where are the influences coming from? Because... 
10 years oh, old. No. What musical influences are we talking about? Oh, God. At the, at the time, you know, even if you had to put on the radio at the time, Malta had this what we call four years late, five years late, you know. TV stations, they never showed what was current, but you, you would find a way to find it. You know, so late, staying late at night watching Italian TV station. I used to stay late till three o'clock in the morning just to watch what's, what's trending. So I had the whole, the whole vinyl collection of my dad. I added with that. My grandpa had this engineering kind of background. So all these books about this thing. Ironically, I would say I was a very, you know, I was into sports like any other kid. I was quite, quite good in football, actually. But I was seeing myself getting more and more involved and wanting to have a band. So at the age of 11, I wanted to, ha I wanted to be in a band. Um, 11, 12, something like that. Parallel with that, as I said, I was building my own home studio, if you want to call it. It was crap. But the point is I was trying to figure this thing out on my own. Um, you say on your own, did you have friends that were also interested in music or were you literally on your own? I was like Hitler. I mean, I used to find friends, and I, I used to make I used to make their their life a living hell. Some of, and so those friends pretty much went away. Then I was left. With, Are they still friends? Oh yeah, yeah. But then I was left with cousins, family members, and I forced them. And you know, I, I remember them telling me, you know, oh, we have to rehearse. Said, yes, we have to rehearse. Four hours, end of story. We have to rehearse, and that's it. You know, I knew that to do something, you had to put the, the time into it, pretty much. So in between the normal life of school, of friends, of football and, and all the girls and all that. Um, ironically, where we're having this podcast now, very, very few doors away, there was this place called Hotel Grovner, I think it was called. And I, I was DJing <laughs> at the age of 12, 13, something like that. So no one had, at least in where we, we were brought up in Atar, no one had, you know, the, the concept of having two turntables and the mixer and the cassette recorder and do that. So... I built the speakers, I managed to find it around. I used to go, used to make my dad take me there, and I used to play all the 80s stuff, the early 80s stuff, as a DJ, literally. It was one way to get into girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, the girls always yeah, go for the DJ, yeah, right? But, 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 but that's pretty much it. So um, the love for music was an obsession. It was an obsession. It was also potentially myself trying to find an identity. My dad was quite well known and, and uh, a few days a few years after that he died so at the age of 17 two years before he died he was already the president of the chamber of, of engineers in Malta and it blew my mind what they were doing so they were trying to to structure to, to create a structure uh, across engineers in Malta and that immediately started giving me an insight into the whole what what is called an industry so, you know, being such so young and understanding that there are things that you need to fight for and things that you need to have done right came to me at a very early age. All this parallel with the creativity, with the need to create something from, from something. I'm not going to lie to you, truly. It was absolute rubbish what we did. <laughs> so I, have I, don't have I don't have the recordings, that's me. But I remember... Oh, Howard, I wish we had the recordings. Oh, no, it would be, fun it would, it would be very funny. But I remember... Asking the, the the first band I was with, I said, "Okay, we think we're good, yeah, but let's record this." Because once you record it, you realize if, if you're good or not. Because when you're playing, you don't under, you don't realize if you're good or not. So we recorded it, and it, it was a reality check. Okay, so we're miles ahead where we need to go, when we, where we need to get that. So that's pretty much me till the age of I would say 15, 16. That's my journey till there.
So then you actually went into studying to be an architect, but yeah. you all, in a one interview you mentioned the fact that your father, who you have yeah. referenced a number of times, he passed away when you were quite young. 17, yeah. And whilst you were pursuing this career as an architect, which would be one of those careers that are, particularly in Malta, very stable, very steady, but you reference back to the fact that your father maybe hadn't have been as adventurous in his career path as as you felt you wanted to follow your dream? Uh, yes and no. So to be fair, uh, my father had his own company, um, so it was mechanical engineering. I used to love electrical engineering, but I, I understood the mechanical side as well. So I would have had my, my future sorted. I, you know, I could, and I, I, after he died, I did spend about six months working in, in his company, which, which he left, but the other director was, was still alive. But I was seeing photos everywhere, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to be a shadow of my dad. And I remember taking this very, I'm a very spontaneous person. I took this spontaneous decision. I walked down the stairs, literally going to my car. I look up and I see these people drawing. I said, oh, I said, okay, that looks interesting. That looks fun. I went up the stairs. What's this? I said, this is an architect's, architect's firm. I said, okay, so what do you do? I said, yeah, this and that. Immediately, the, the, the top architect came out and he said, what, what would you like? What, what, do you, what do you want? I said, I think I'd like to become an architect. I just decided there and then. I said, brilliant. Come and spend some time over here and get experience. We can start on Monday. Done deal. Wow. That, that's it. Till this day, the architect and his firm are still very good friends of mine. And I'll tell you why. Because I progressed very fast. And he was saying that you know, they, they could realize that I was very committed to what I was doing. They offered me at a point a very good pay and a lot of responsibilities. And I respect them so much for that. Then I said, you know what? That's not fair because my heart is elsewhere. And that's where I took the hard and fast decision to say, that's it. This was probably about four years after that. So while trying to find my route into architecture and studying to, to go there, I put a stop to, to it because this opportunity came along from them. And at the same time, I knew that my heart was elsewhere. That's amazing and a brave decision. I've been That's having brave, this conversation yeah. and a lot recently and encouraging young people to do the same, to follow their dreams. And those times, it's not like today. There weren't opportunities. And, you know, I had to pay potentially, I would say, more than 1,000 Maltese euro. So that would be more than 2,000 euro at the time. Good heavens. Yeah, it was very, very well paid. And, and me and a bandmate... I was with at the time, David, from, uh, from Getting Closer, we had this band together. And David told me, listen, I'm going to build a studio in Mistra. He said, would you like to, to join me in this venture? I said, yeah, let's do it. And that's where it was a very, um, I would say, vision, tunnel vision for me into where I'm going to go next. But Howard, how do you go from that to what you have now? Because even when I came to the island 17 years ago, the music scene then was nothing like it is now. There was there was Era, who has left a lifelong legacy. Uh, there was Winter Moods. There was some gigs. There were some bits and pieces going on. But now, of course, Jagged House manages Era Losca, the Travellers, the New Victorians, and also works with other massive artists, the Riffs, uh, Airport Impressions, Strabali, Destiny, and so much more. What happened? What happened from that opportunity where you got involved in a studio to then going to the other side where you start managing and now i think the the frustration drove me the frustration of producing an artist seeing that they have potential 
and then they fizzle out. And it was, it was a repetitive cycle which was happening over and over and over again. I could see what they were doing wrong. I had my experience abroad, so I've worked with labels myself. I've, I've, you know, I skipped all that part where, where, where I well, actually Well, just give abroad. me a brief introduction to that part, because probably people don't know about that either. Yeah, so myself as a musician, um, uh, I, I had had enough of, of Malta, the way they treated musicians. And, uh, we, you know, we had a couple of, of bands and they did well and everything. And... Myself touring for probably around two years in a proper tour bus and everything and the whole bunk bed and sleeping. It was proper. You know, it wasn't one of those things. I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't sleeping in a van and not knowing what's going to happen next. It was organized, a crew of about 40 people and all. But I think I would say that the most thing you, you learn and you learn fast is the respect they have for artists. So that's the first thing. And the other thing is, is also how things sound live. You know, because let's be honest, even at the time when you came here, things in water sound so great live either, right? So there was that as well. So I, I think it's, it's a drive of being frustrated. Okay, this is not right. I need to do something about it. That's all it is. And then, can I do this? Yes, I can do this. I, I always trust my ears. Um, till, since I was young till today, if my ears fail, it's over. Um, but then that had to connect to the with your heart and it needs to connect with, with your mind to do the right decisions. But, but it starts with the ear. You, ne you need to make sure that what you're hearing is, you can analyze if it's good or if it's bad. So from my experience abroad and then pretty much getting my frustration in Malta working with these artists and let, seeing them fizzle out, I hooked up on a production company with Posa Mikotaya and we started this company called The Bridge Productions. That was the, the, the next step. So a production company trying to figure out how we can help and develop artists. That lasted probably about five years, and then I took off on my own. But why? Because this has been a question I keep asking over and over again. Why were artists fizzling out? Why do artists still fizzle out? Okay, first of all, it's lack of education, number one. So they, they're very, very safe in Malta, right? So they get used to a routine, and they accept it. So there's that. That's... Their horizons aren't really wide as they need to be. But that's, that's not enough because today with the internet, you could widen your horizons and get all the information. But unless you're there, unless you actually taste it abroad, unless you, you're performing in these shows, in these, in these situations, both as an artist and also as a manager or even doing sound for a massive show abroad, feeling that sense of responsibility, unless you feel that, you will not grow. So I think it's that, lack of education, lack of experience. And also, I would add, and probably this brings us to where we are today with this, with this program, X Factor, not having enough people telling it to them as it is. So there's a lot of sugarcoating, a lot of, oh, good song, well done, you know. Of course, the family members are going to tell you that. Um, but even when they ask other people, they normally tell them all the things they want to hear. There isn't enough, enough criticism. Or there wasn't. Maybe there is now, but I don't think there was a few years back. That criticism enough to give the reality checks. You know, it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. But there is an astonishing amount of incredible talent in Malta. For the size, ridiculous. For the size of the country. Ridiculous. When I first came here, and as I saw the music industry expand, I compared it to the size of the largest town in the county that I'd just come from in the UK. Same size, no talent. Uh, Blur, the prodigy, yeah. were the local bands for me. 
Here, there's an infin... Huh? Great bands, of course. <laughs> Here, there's an incredible amount of talent. Very, very concentrated talent. I still haven't got to the bottom of how that is that we have so much talent here. But you've just said we don't see these artists going abroad and breaking out of Malta. Is that because it's safe here? You mentioned being safe. They but, end up but surely if you're that good, you have that passion. Yeah, there is there's the safety net. There is the lack of contact. There is the the fact that the world has become globalized enough that you can still manage to maintain a good network, even with 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 releases through labels without even le needing to leave the country. You know, the, the music music is consumed in a different way today than it was before. So the model is completely different. Before you had to go on tour, get noticed. Those days are also, have also changed. But it still leaves me to answer your question with this pool of talent we have over here. And how has it developed to this point? I think people inspire people. That's surely one of the reasons. I mean, we don't have one radio station. We have several radio stations. We don't have a few shows, but we have a summer packed with shows. For the size of the island, we take it for granted. But truthfully, it's not to be taken for granted because there's a lot of activity going on. Then there's also the parents wanting their children to live their own dreams. <laughs> there's a lot of that. <laughs> but truly, you have to be honest, accomplished full artists who have the personality, have great musicians who can write music, who can have an interview, who can meet anyone and make it work. Those aren't a lot of them. So you have a list of great talent, but not developed with all the skill sets needed to make it. And then you have a, a few who, who have maybe a bit more of that. So I think that's the truth. Do we have those reality. individuals in, in Malta that you've just described? But, so let's take one unexpected artist as an example. Ed Sheeran right. is ginger and not the best looking person in the world. Nope. But he is one of the best selling artists and most successful artists. It's all about the songs. It, and is that what it is? Because you've just described all of those other skills. Don't we have an Ed Sheeran in Malta? No. <laughs> I know. I don't think so. No, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I think, I think because you've mentioned someone whose songwriting skills are ridiculously good, his quirkiness actually matches his, his look, actually matches the whole story. He has a story. It's, for me, that's his unique selling point. So you do end up with um, the situation where you don't have that unique USP. You're good, you look great, amazing, whatever but you don't have a brother who's committed suicide. Oh, that's a story. You know, I'm just giving you this typical Mediterranean stories here. Well, we, we, have, we have stories like everyone else in the world, but it needs to be complete. Everything has to just come a full circle. But I heard recently that in music production, not necessarily in Malta, but uh, in another interview, but abroad, uh, that if a female artist hasn't made it by the time she's 18, she's not going to make it. Well, what stories can she have? Yes, it's true. But I think that belongs a bit to the past as well. I think we have accepted a less ageist community, although we're still there. And uh, we've seen Miley Cyrus, for example, to make a point, pay tribute to Joan Jett. Why, why is that? Because there have been female artists in the past who struggled so much more than the whole female wave we've had in the last five years. So we've had a whole wave where it's very hard to find bands anymore. I mean, it's totally dominated female artists, right? And 
And now they're starting to realize that it's, this only happened because other previous artists have made it easier for them for that to happen. So I think there is that parallel which one needs to put into context as well. But no, you know, I, maybe we don't have the achievement, but we have, we have great talent even in writing. So one of the main problems remains potentially writing for me. That's, that's one of the boxes we still need to get better at. And one, there, are, there are reasons. We don't even have songwriting camps over here. I'm, I'm constantly going up abroad and involving artists. Like I remember, Michaela is one of the cases. She's been nine times abroad in songwriting camps. She was not a songwriter when she entered X Factor. Now she's a songwriter. And not only songwriters, she's, she's, she's actually co-written songs with some of the greatest songwriters. The fact that we don't work together enough is also a problem. There's a lot of insular behavior, I call it, where it's, you look inside, you don't look outside enough. You've mentioned X Factor and Malta's Got Talent, and I've always been slightly skeptical about these shows. I hear you, shows. so have I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being polite. I'm being brutally honest. But are these, are these where we're going to find the talent you mentioned? Are these where we're going to find talent emerging that will still be around in 20 years, those, the, those artists that have longevity, the Ed Sheerans of Malta? Will we find them there? I doubt. I, I doubt that is the, the, the place where you'll find the longevity artist. However, having said that, so many artists who came out of these situations, we would not have discovered without that. And I said, I doubt, only because it's not enough that you go through that process. What you do with your career after is so much more important. Use the X Factor to learn, you know, the, these different challenges and experience, and that's fine. But it's just not enough. And unless there's this youth generation, the, the young generation coming up, who are ready to pay their dues, like I did, and carry my instruments and sweat it in the, in the rehearsal room and do whatever it takes and stay in, in, a, in a whole line, in, in, you know, and it's raining just to go and see a band in UK because that's what you do. Unless they're ready to do that and not expect things to fall in the lap, that's not going to work. So X Factor is a great platform to give them that experience and get mentorship, but it all depends on them what they do after that experience. You mentioned a couple of things there. Does it come back to what you said before about new family members turning around and saying, you're brilliant, you're the best. Do you, you must get this on X Factor, where somebody comes in and they think that the That's my biggest nightmare, truly. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? When, I mean, are uh, you brutal as Simon Cowell and yeah, just say, I, you're rubbish? I mean, they edit a lot of things out. Um, but I can tell you, in the church challenge, for example, I've had situations where, where family members behind me were going to probably throw a, a chair at me or something like that, or a bottle. And, and it's true, security did come and stop them. And I do understand it. I'm a father of two. I do, you know, you love your kids, and you, you, you're not going to accept very easily that some, some idiot tells, them, you know, tells your kids that they're not great or they're not going to go through the next phase. That honesty, that brutality is a reality. Right? I think there is some delu delusion there going on with, with um, some parents um, expecting their children to be the best thing on planet Earth. But I also admire their parents investing in their children as well. You know, it's nice. It's nice to see that, that drive from them. I just feel that it just needs to be balanced out with some reality checks. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Has there been really one really embarrassing moment within those shows where you've just... Uh, too many to mention. <laughs> I'm, I've had a lot. I've had, I've had a lot of that situations. Bad? Yeah, I've had a lot of situations where, and you've, you've seen the attacks, I'm sure, in public, in public um, Facebook domain, you know, where I have a nice hate, hate club, which I'm, I'm loving it. 
<laughs> I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. But it's not meant, and I swear to you, people who know me know me that that's the way I am. I am I'm not putting in, in any act. But I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm not, I'm not a horrible person in any way. But if you ask me your, my opinion, I'm going to give it to you. Otherwise, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give it to you. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not that type of person who just, you know, I will never trash an artist publicly, never, or an upcoming wannabe artist. But if they do ask my advice, and a lot of people have asked my advice privately, a lot, always tell them the truth, and I don't hold back, and I do it because it comes from a respectful place. It comes from a place where I call respect, because I feel that music is this kind of, you know, my this church, my church. And I feel that there's no bullshit should be allowed in that situation. You have to be, you have to be honest. Not, not to put anyone down, but because you hope that what you're telling them, they're going to use it, they're going to be better. I want to come back to what I said right at the very beginning, because one of the things that is your, within your remit as well is, of course, the festivals. Yep. And 2019, and I'm hoping you'll agree, was an astonishing year Peak. for the art and music industry in Malta. We had so many foreign artists coming. We had so many festivals. Too many to count, too many to go to. Incredible. Now, of course, we also had uh, X Factor. We also had Malta's Got Talent. We had, so artists were on TV. There were festivals. They were absolutely everywhere. And a variety of them as well. A huge variety. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. Do you think that Malta will be able to get back to being on the music main stage of Europe? I think it will. It just will take two to three years to get to that point. But I think it will. One of, I would say, the important things is to look at the fuel for the engine. The fuel for the engine is creativity and creating content. Now, some people might think that during the pandemic, most people were creating. That's not true. They were disheartened. They were really disheartened and they felt lost because they felt they didn't even know who they were anymore. They looked in the mirror, didn't even recognize it. Um, I had my moments, I'm sure, like everyone else. It will take time and it needs, the, for me, the fuel to the engine is also having the, the, the people in the private sector, what I call the DIY, the ones that you do it yourself without having to go to the government to help you every time, right? So whether it's theater, whether it's dance, whether it's, it's music, whatever it is, it was happening on its own. There were the government events happening. There was, there was some friction starting to develop because there was a competition between the public events, which are fully subsidized, and the private events, which are not subsidized at all. Right? So that was a constant competition. We just need to find the right balance. We are not saying that the government shouldn't do events because, of course, they should, and, and that's part of their remit to do that. But... We need to leave the private sector work and give them the tools to work so that they can evolve. Because that's what we did. And that's how we did it before. So trying to reinvent that wheel will not give us another 2019 peak. It will give us a flop. To give us another 2019 peak potentially in three years' time, four or five years' time, maybe, we need to let it get to that point on its own. But do you really think that we, Malta can get back to that? I think it's to that rise. We've had a lot of blows over the last couple of years. We've had a lot of blows, and not only musically, I'm not going to lie to you, even this grey listing thing affected me. I had this thing with, with a label where you have to, a major label, I'm not going to mention the name, but it's one of the four, one of the big four, where to get paid, you have to get paid in a, in a particular way. And I received an email the day after, I'm sorry to inform you, but we have to, we have to reassess how payments can be 
can start to happen now when it comes to royalties and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's a small thing because, of course, you solve it, but there's been a, a number of things. And when you're dealing with the rest of the world, you need to keep in mind that everything counts. The hospitality we give to tourists when they come over here, everything, everything counts. Because every bad experience will reflect badly when you're in that room, an important room, probably an important part of your life, taking a decision or negotiating, and all these things are weighing on your shoulders. And giving advantage to the other third party to make you look small. I'm patriotic, but I'm not crazy patriotic. I'm not one of those people who think that mold is the center of, of the universe. Far from it. It's a reality check. We're a small dot in a massive ocean. Accept it, deal with it, fight for it. I think if we keep that in mind, and the same way that when, when more these people go abroad, they succeed, the same, the same drive and the same humble, you know, I have to be a bit humble about it as well, and shut up most of the times. When that happens, I think you'll achieve more than trying to, to have this ego bubble of master of the universe kind of thing. Talking to master of the universe, the godfather of music in Malta. Oh, make me look old, okay. Howard Keith, tell me what, of everything that you've done, of all the artists that you've produced, of your touring as a young man, of the festivals that you have brought to the islands, what is the thing that you've done within the music industry that you are most proud of? The thing that you're like, you know what? I'm so thrilled I did that. Honestly, this MEIA gives me a lot of satisfaction. For, for, for two reasons, it's totally voluntary and it's nice to do something without expecting anything back. It's bringing the whole industry together who are, it's a very competitive industry, let's not fool ourselves, right? So colleagues who are competing against each other have to come to terms into some sort of agreement. So it's bringing all these people with different um, egos together. And thirdly, to make the authorities aware that we are no different than any other industry and we're going to fight for our rights. So I think that gives, um, I must admit, it gave me a lot of satisfaction. And my goal was just to, to start it up, do something about it. I'm, I'm not here to stay forever. I'm, I'm, I'm just really hoping that if anyone who comes up to me as president and the executive and all that will just find the structure there and they will take it even further. Was there a moment that prompted you to do this? Because I know over the pandemic, so many of my friends who are artists, musicians, talked about the fact that there was no support. And even prior to the pandemic, the arts in Malta, whilst we have so much talent, are not necessarily taken seriously. Was this, what point did you say, I need to do this? This was in April. I remember clearly April 2020. I, I had this Zoom call with very high top executives in the music industry. I was so lucky to be part of this. There were about 20 people. I was one of them. Um, I, found, I don't know how I found myself there, but it was through, through a connection to someone, etc. And they were, they were aware of the pandemic much more than we were. And they were foreseeing what's going to happen the next three years, and it scared the living daylights out of me. On the same night, I switched on TV, and I remember seeing the prime minister discussing with Malta Chamber and talking about oh, problems in the industry. And I looked around and said, wait, hang on a minute. Who the hell is representing us? I mean, I know we're going to be the most hit. I knew it. I mean, we're going to be the last to open up and the first to get hit. And there's no one there to have a voice for us. So that is it. I remember it was in April. I can't remember the day, but it, was, it all happened in one day. I'm so thrilled. I'm thrilled for the industry. I really am. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing this going forward. As you said, you've created this entity which will live beyond you. Oh, one... for sure. I mean, it's what it's all about. And that's what I hope. It's not easy. 
but that's what the voluntary thing is, is nice, you know, when you do, you've, you've, the industry gave you something back, now it's your turn to give something back. Have you seen a difference that's come about? Yes, I've seen people closer together, I've seen theatre people working with music people, I've seen, that would never existed before, I'm not as much as it is I'm seeing now. Um, so the pandemic had this good thing. It's, it's, oh, they're all against us. We have to all f- stay together, right? So that's nice. That, that was really nice to see. Will it last? I don't know. <laughs> Being honest, I don't know. Because I hate egos, truly. I'm really allergic to, to egos. I mean, egos, I can accept anything, but not egos. When it gets to that point, it, it's, it's where it should stop. This brings me nicely to my very last question. In an interview, you wrote that one day you will write a book. Oh, shit. But you're not ready to spill the beans just yet. What are the beans? Are these the beans that you're talking about? What's the juicy gossip? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm committed to that. Honestly, I really would like to do it because it will give a complete different meaning to some people saying it's all roses and also showing this relationship between producer and artist, manager and artist, and from a festival perspective, what one goes through. And even with authorities, and you start to realize that most people are afraid to speak up. Most people are afraid to say the truth. In my opinion, nothing's better than, than the truth. Because at least you have a baseline to say, okay, let's accept, let's accept it. Let's, let's understand that these things do happen. So let's educate people that these things do happen because if they do happen, you can do something about it. If you are just making it look as though it's all, oh, you know, great, you go up on stage and it's all fun and people screaming your name as an artist and all that, it's not all that. And I think it needs to be said. Howard Keith, thank you so much for being a guest on the interview. That was a really nice interview. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but thank you so much, the godfather of music in Malta. that's, That's a big name. Thank you so much. Brought to you with the natural goodness of Viridian at Browns.